Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Welcome to Midweek in the Word. Thanks for joining us for another episode as we seek to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word as we study it and read it for ourselves. As always, I am Pastor Brad, the Adult Ministries Pastor at Faith Bible Church, and I'm joined by Tom, our preaching pastor, for another week uh, of our podcast. Um, This morning, I'm going to introduce us in in kind of a a different way um, because we've got a different subject. We've got kind of an intimidating subject this week, but not so much like allegory was difficult to understand as maybe a term that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. We're going to be talking about the idea of hermeneutics and and what does that mean? Um, For many of you, don't worry, don't, don't, drop off on us yet. We're going to be defining that term as we get into it later, um, as far as the idea of of what we bring to the text and how we understand scripture. Uh, But I want to start off with an illustration that kind of puts it into everyday language. Uh, This is from a book called Playing with Fire um, by the author Walt Russell. And as he's trying to introduce the way each of us come to the message and the biblical message specifically, he writes this story trying to give us kind of a practical illustration of it. Uh, He says this, suppose you're traveling to work on an east-west street and you see a stop sign. What do you do? That depends on how you exegete or interpret the stop sign. A postmodernist deconstructs the sign, that is, knocks it over with his car, ending forever the tyranny of the north-south traffic over the east-west traffic. Similarly, a Marxist sees a stop sign as an instrument of class conflict. He concludes that the bourgeoisie use the north-south road and obstruct the progress of the workers on the east-west road. A fundamentalist takes the text very literally, stops at the stop sign, and waits for it to tell him to go. A preacher might look up stop in his lexicon and discovers it can mean, number one, something which prevents motion, such as a plug for a drain or a block of wood that prevents a door from closing, or two, a location where a train or bus lets off passengers. The big idea of his sermon the next Sunday on this text is, when you see a stop sign, it is a place where traffic is naturally clogged, so it is a good place to let off passengers from your car. An Orthodox Jew takes another route to work that doesn't have a stop sign so that he doesn't have to risk disobeying the law. Russell's entire point there is as we come to a message such as the stop sign, we each bring a different perspective that dictates how we understand the subject, which is a perfect illustration of our topic this morning of, of exit or of, of hermeneutics. Um, this week, we're going to step away from our study of Genesis just a bit, not look so closely at Judah, um, and we're going to look at the hermeneutic assumptions we bring to the text. Um, now, for our listeners, don't worry. I know it sounds intimidating, um, but I promise it's much more straightforward than the term indicates, and we will explain what we mean as we go along. Um, But before before we get to that, Tom, um, as always, we want to step back to Route 66 and cover Genesis through Revelation, your snapshots of of the Bible uh, sermon series. This week, you had Judah in Genesis 38 through 50. Uh, What did we learn about God from the story of Judah? Well, I think as Judah wraps up uh, the whole book of Genesis, uh, that one overriding theme of God's revelation of himself is that he is sovereign, mm. that he is Lord over all. And I think everything else revealed about him and by himself to us 
falls out of that, that God is the creator and he has maintained authority over all that is, both his plan, his purpose, and his people. Hmm. Which is fascinating, and it just occurs to me now that in a lot of ways what Moses is setting up is the right hermeneutic for us to read the rest of the Bible and to understand who God is, and and that that kind of forms our assumptions moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Very nice. How about uh, what did it reveal about mankind? What did Judah's story uh, show us about ourselves? uh, Judah's, just like everybody that preceded him, demonstrates that we are a fallen creature, a rebellious Mm -hmm. creature, and we need a redeemer. And that uh, if we did not have a God who is a God of second chances, there would be no hope for any of us. Mm. But we do have a God that is full of grace and forgiveness. Mm. Yeah, just like you mentioned last week, Genesis 38 was a a, a dark read, uh, a scary reality of this being one of God's chosen people acting um, in a way that that shakes us to our core a bit um, and unfortunately reminds us of our own hearts. Yeah, Yeah, it it really makes you wonder why Joseph was passed over for this, <laughs> but it demonstrates what great grace it is that God demonstrates toward the fallen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Um, then finally, how does it point us to Christ? How did Judah's story point us to Jesus? Well, uh, the author was, was most helpful in that, in that he, <laughs> in his blessing on Judah, Jacob uh, described the coming Savior as one who has the scepter that will not depart from Judah, that from mm-hmm. the hand of the family, or the ruler's staff that is the shepherd's staff from between his feet until Shiloh, that is, peace has come. So he really, through his own son Judah, points us to the only one that can ultimately bring that kind of international peace, that kind of international prosperity, that kind of hope. Uh, so uh, Jacob describes, points us to Jesus, because Judah's only going to live for a short period of time. Mm. And actually, Judah will never be a king, but in his family line will come kings and rulers. Yeah, I remember um, at least one of the first times I was reading Genesis 49 and just this oddity of blessings that we don't really understand in our culture and all of a sudden come to a screeching halt at the at Judah and go, this is a snake crusher. This is from yeah. Genesis 3. We're just getting more and more of the picture of, of who yeah. Christ will be when he comes. Yep. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Um, okay, so that was last week. That was, that was the story of Judah. Um, this week, like I said, we want to talk about hermeneutics. And, and this is a term that's probably mo- unfamiliar to most of our listeners. Uh, so, Tom, could you start off our dialogue by defining hermeneutics for us? Yeah, well, it sounds like you need a medical specialist to remove it from you. It's not a disease that is fatal. Yeah. Um, it's really uh, the art and science of reading and interpreting. It's just a, the practice of whether it's the Bible or a newspaper Uh, There are some certain rules, the science, the guidelines, but then there's also the learned practice, the arts of Mm. reading, and that's what hermeneutics is. It's just the art and science of how to read. Mm. So is it fair to say then that that we all have a hermeneutic, even if we have no idea what the word means, we all have a hermeneutic, um, both when we read any book we pick up off of the table or a newspaper and when we approach the Bible? Yeah, I I think we all assume that every work has a structure to it, Mm. and so we read it with that in mind. I think that's the controlling factor 
Uh, but we bring assumptions with it as we begin reading, and uh, hermeneutics uh, explains to us or controls us in how we actually interpret what we're seeing. Yeah, so go on that a little bit more. What, why, why is it so important that we, that we look at this? Why is it so important that we examine maybe the hermeneutic we have now and how that could be improved? Well, we draw wrong conclusions. It's not so important or such a crisis if you're working on a novel or you're mm. reading through the newspaper. But when you're reading the Bible, it's a special book, mm. and uh, therefore it has a special purpose. So if you don't practice good scientific reading, first of all, uh, you will make it say things it does not say. Mm. Particularly scary in the realm of, of Scripture, but obviously that illustration of a newspaper appropriately um, makes the point. If you were to look at your newspaper and you were to be in the sports section and you, yeah. you read, you know, bears devour dolphins, you have a very different picture in your mind than if you're in the in yeah. the local news yeah. uh, section, no doubt. And those kind of assumptions, as yeah. if we approach inappropriately the text of Scripture, have obviously much more implications than misunderstanding a yeah, story start in the a newspaper. Rumor about Henley Dory Zoo, <laughs> exactly. Out of control down there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Okay. So so let's look at those assumptions a little bit then. Um, what what are some examples of appropriate assumptions we should have as we approach the text of Scripture? I think the top four simple ones are first of all the Bible is a special book. It's not like every other book on the shelf. Mm. Uh, it is unique. It's, it's a divine revelation. It is the words, the very words of God, mm. and therefore it has uh, a non-negotiable authority that accompanies it. But it's also that it, uh, it is understandable. We should mm. assume as we read it that God is trying to communicate to us, not mm. hide from us what is on his heart and his mind. Mm. It's a good reminder. Uh, too often we kind of look at Scripture that way, as if it's some puzzle box to unlock. Yeah. That we, if we get the right, if we get the right cartographer, if you will, we or if we if we break the code correctly, all of a sudden we'll unlock the secrets. And yeah. and you hear people talk that way. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that that whole numerology thing, uh, finding uh, repeated numbers and then tracing them together, and somehow God had this hidden message that only. Uh, the initiated are able mm -hmm. to understand, and uh, God just didn't communicate that way. He, he uh, has created man for relationship, and relationship requires communication, and uh, he communicates with clarity. Mm -hmm. And that message is really drummed home in so many of the Old Testament prophets yeah. that what distinguishes God is that he's a God who speaks. Yes. And very few of us speak and don't want to be understood. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, So I don't, I don't speak in, in, uh, in, in riddles when I'm trying yeah. to communicate with my wife. I, I speak intending to be understood. Now, I mean, she, she, may, she may think they're riddles because I'm not yeah. a clear communicator, but fortunately we don't have God um, in that right. same boat. No doubt. Okay, so let's let's move into a little bit then the opposite or flip side of the coin. Um, what are some inappropriate assumptions that you think we have a tendency to make both in our culture and, and more broadly in Christianity? Yeah, well, the, the timing uh, is good. Yesterday, a 35-year friendship, uh, we went out for pancakes because it was National Pancake Day. <laughs> and we no sooner sat down at the booth and he said, how, how can I know... Rather, what I'm reading is eisegesis or exegesis. And, and he basically had said our, uh, eisegesis is that someone is reading in to the text what they want it to say, mm. and exegesis is someone doing the discipline reading out of the text what the author intended to say. And, and he was saying that I, I read certain 
principles of application, and I like those, but then I look at the passage that mm. they use to support it, and it doesn't seem to come out of the text. So mm. uh, I think that's the, the biggest concern, is that am I forcing my will upon the Word, or am I letting the Word speak out to me mm. and taking that to heart? It kind of relates or dovetails with our previous conversation about allegory versus typology. You made a big point out of that idea that allegory is taking, I got this story, I think I can find a way to make it say what I want it to, versus typology saying, I think they're drawing a link here um, or pointing forward to Christ, uh, really has that idea of reading into versus reading out of, uh, which kind of emphasizes what you've talked about in the past, the devotional reading of saying, what I need right now is something that's going to encourage me. Well, I'm in a passage that's not meant to be encouragement. I'm going to try to manipulate it and get it to say what I want it to say so it's an encouragement to me. Yeah, and a lot of popular speakers are guilty of the reading Mm. into, and because they use a Bible verse or two, we assume that this is what God has said. Mm. But the discipline says, let's let the text speak out to me, Mm. and uh, then we'll get it accurate. And that's that's a really good, uh, good comment to make, too, on this idea of of looking at what we hear and what we read and interpreting in community. Uh, one of the good barriers maybe to to doing eisegesis or reading into the text um, is that it should rise naturally from the from the text. And yeah. so if, if you're like, I'm pretty sure this is what it's saying, and you're looking around the table and everybody else is going, that doesn't seem right, yeah. right to <laughs> me. Right. You maybe you're off on a limb. That's right. Um, or if you're sitting there listening to a sermon or, or a podcast and the guy says something, you go, I don't see that in the text, yeah. uh, be a little wary. Well, and I, I think even in preparing to teach others, mm-hmm. uh, come up with something that is an aha and say, I've never seen that before, before going out and saying, that's what it says. You might yeah. want to confirm that with some other people that have studied that passage before and say, did I come up with a novel idea? Then probably I'm reading into the text, not out of mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, my next question is is a bit more practical. I want us to get a bit into the nuts and bolts of what this would look like. Um, so as we're looking at our own assumptions, as we're looking at our own hermeneutic, as we're trying to be self-aware about what we bring to the text, um, are there some good interpretive principles uh, that we should keep in mind? Obviously, we've discussed the coma method of trying to observe and then interpret and then apply You know, some of that in the past, but specific to the assumptions and hermeneutic side of this, um, are there some good principles that we can put into play? Yeah, there's, there's a host of them. I, I think the first one is to, before I start interpreting, I need to answer the question, what kind of literature is this? And, uh, you know, just for myself over the last seven weeks, I, I went from teaching through an epistle, and suddenly I'm doing narrative and stories of that type. And so I have to kind of rethink the way that I handle the text. It just unfolds a different way. Uh, I think another one is that uh, there is a close and broad context. So authors are trying to communicate a message. So what they say leading into the thing I'm looking at right now helps me understand what they're trying to say and what they say Mm. after that particular. So putting it in the the context of it. I think another one is just some... Uh, the principle that it is uh, it is plain and obvious. I'm not looking for mystery words. I'm just assuming that it is going to speak to me. We've already talked about that a little bit. Uh, we, we talked before, too, about that uh, there is only a singular accurate mm-hmm. meaning. There's multiple applications, but I have to grapple with what is that one thing that the author was trying to say, which really takes you to the 
the writer's intent. He had a message to communicate, mm-hmm. and uh, so he chose specific words and arranged them in a specific way to communicate a specific message. And so looking for that one intended meaning. And then I think probably just that uh, there is a theological truth in every scripture. What is it that God is trying to reveal about himself in the passage that is under examination, this is this is his breath. These are his words. So he is speaking of himself for us, and uh, we we need to continually look for that. Mm. Good reminders as as we recognize that each one of us as readers brings certain assumptions to the text. We have a we have a culture that um, you know to be a bit self aware about our our postmodern culture that yeah. assumes that as the reader we get to define whatever we want. You know, yeah. similar to modern art, I get to look at the picture and say what it says to me, as opposed to say what was the what was the artist trying to draw. Yeah. On the same way, we come to the text saying what was the author trying yeah. to write, what was the message they were trying to communicate. We we wouldn't take any other piece of literature, pick it up off the table and say, I'm not really sure what what C.S. Lewis was trying to say here, but I think this is what it says to me. Yeah. Everybody would say, no, that's not the story he was writing. But we do that with the Bible too yeah. often as we kind of take it and think we can manipulate it and make it what we want to yeah. want it to say. Yeah, and then and then some of those other ideas as far as one meeting that we've talked about. You know, you mentioned uh, literature. Uh, that's why we've been doing the podcasts on different different types of literature, different genres, or or different types of ways that people write. We've we've done some different ones. We'll come back to some more of those as we hit some different types of literature. You know, poetry and epistles and some of those um, in later podcasts as well. Um, but those are good tools, you know, for, for our listeners, I would encourage you, think through this a little bit. You know, the reality is every believer throughout time has brought a culture, a time frame, a, a gap between when the story was written and where they live today that, that makes it a little bit challenging. Um, and so your hermeneutic is part of what you bring or the glasses you look through that kind of define how you interpret scripture. And so try to be self-aware about that. Try to think through some of what Tom has highlighted saying, do I have a tendency to read into the text something that's not there? Do I have a tendency to think I can define the meaning? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I have a tendency to look for significance in things that the author wasn't trying to make significant? Yeah. Um, and examine your hermeneutic. The reality is all of us bring a hermeneutic to the text. That's not wrong. It's just the reality. Um, but we want to improve in our skill. I love that you mentioned in your definition yeah. the art and science. The more we read, the better we get at the art and the natural leanings. Yeah. But the more we read and study and, and focus on on topics like this week's podcast, the better we get at the science of what are the right questions I can ask, how can I get better in yeah. this realm of, of hermeneutics. So that's it. Um, That is it for our topic on hermeneutics. I would encourage you, we recognize that we have not covered this topic holistically or in in, in totality. So if you have any questions related to the subject of hermeneutics, if you would like us to take a closer look at any one of our given points, shoot us an email, shoot us a text, or catch us. We'd love to come back to this topic again in a later podcast if it would be helpful to you as our listeners. Um, But Tom, as as we kind of take the exit ramp on this thing, as we're running out of time, uh, we want to look forward to next week's message. You've you've got the person and life of Moses, uh, who's talked about all the way from Gen or through from Exodus clear through yeah. Deuteronomy and his last words to the people of Israel. Uh, so that's a big bite uh, to take off in another <laughs> week. Um, but what are you looking forward to preaching about most this week? 
Well, the first thing is is that two-thirds of his life is in the rearview mirror by the mm. time the Lord calls him to leadership and ministry. Mm. And then I think the other part is that he is not in the line of the seed of the head crusher, mm. and yet God uses him to move the historic thing forward 40 years. And so uh, how is God using that part? So we, we covered... To, uh, 350 years from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50, suddenly in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's only 40 years. Yeah. Why did God take so much content, squeeze it down into just 40 years? There's something rather mm. significant there we're looking for. Yeah, a lot going on there. We'll look forward yeah. to that. Um, what about interpretive questions? What are some challenges or sticky points in the life of Moses? Well, in, in his case, it, it's, it's too easy to default to uh, principles of leadership and mm-hmm. just immediately coming up with all kinds of lecture series on how to lead two million grumbling people or something. <laughs> right. So the real challenge is to, to let God speak through the life of Moses in his own progressive revelation, self-revelation. Why, why Moses at this time? And what do we learn about God through that? Hmm. Really emphasizing the contextual aspect yeah. in the life of Moses. Uh, how about preparing our hearts? What can we be prayerfully considering as we get ready for Sunday's message? Well, the, the story of the Exodus and Moses' leadership is the greatest demonstration, illustration of deliverance hmm. uh, until we come to the death and resurrection of Christ. And so hmm. we look forward to the fact that there is one who has come to set us free. Yeah, no doubt. And it doesn't really, or it really does, the people of Israel serve as a great example of that reality where they were literally in bondage and slavery, but even as they exit from that, yeah. the the attitudes and the actions we're seeing them taking really shows us that there's a deeper bondage yep. that these people were, were, were suffering from, if you will, than even when they came out of Egypt. Excellent. Well, we'll be looking forward to that message on Sunday. I I do hope you will join us on Sunday as Tom preaches through uh, the life and story of Moses, examines what God did in the heart of this man. Um, and thanks, thank you for joining us this week for the podcast. Uh, remember, as we're looking forward to this Sunday's message, if you're reading the weekly uh, reading plan, you have Exodus 2 and 3 and Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. If you're feeling particularly ambitious or get trapped inside some this week as well, I would encourage you to read Acts 7 and Deuteronomy 34 as they emphasize a bit on the life of Moses as well. And if you're interested in more information on this, I just want to note again what I mentioned last week that we are looking on some ser- or looking at producing some series resources that will be coming out to you that will summarize some of what we've been talking about some of what has been in Tom's messages so keep an eye out for that we'll try to promo it here um, when that resource is released and if you are uh, going to miss us or not be with us on a given Sunday over the next few weeks or the coming year uh, keep in mind we do have all the sermons on our website and we also have a podcast available um, that that we have all Tom's sermons uploaded to as well. Just search for Faith Bible Church um, and look up um, for the sermons podcast, and you can you can uh, log into that just the same as this. And if you do happen to miss a week, you can hear those sermons, you can find them, and you can catch up on the podcast and stay up to date on where we're at over the course of 2020. Um, and that's it for, for this week. Uh, know that we will be praying for you as you prepare your hearts for Sunday's message, um, as you're studying the Word in your own time at home. And we hope you will join us next week for the podcast and Sunday uh, for the sermon series as we take a look at the person of Aaron next week in the podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, 
Be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.